OCM didn't talk with us because they weren't allowed to. So I couldn't get my license from them. I couldn't get any emails from them, nothing. So I'm kind of going in with this blind, going off the regulations and my lawyer's information, what they know. And we're just doing it. We're paying all these people. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars without knowing really what's going to happen, which was the scariest part. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Markel Bobkovov, owner of The Herbal Care. Markel, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, guys. Very excited about this. Excited to have you here. Kellen, how are you doing? Doing really well. Really excited to talk to Markel. Really excited to learn about the intricacies of the New York retail market. And, you know, excited to have someone who spent a good amount of time on the West Coast yeah, uh, on the pod. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great. And yes, you're right. Uh, his West Coast experience has probably been very helpful in leading him to the East Coast, where I think the focus of today's conversation is going to be about New York. Uh, yes. the, the licensing market, surprises, non-surprises, challenges, obstacles, and all the funds in between. And I think the most exciting part is that we've got individuals like himself today here to kind of open the floodgates as the market continues to slowly but surely open up for the rest. So, Markel, for our listeners, I'm about you. Can you give me a little background about yourself and how you got into the cannabis space? Of course, of course. So, um, I'm 34 years old, uh, born in Russia, the Asian part of Russia, Uzbekistan. Tajikistan area. Um, moved to New York when I was two years old, Brooklyn in Canarsie. And then I moved to Queens, Flushing uh, when I was 10 and lived in Flushing pretty much my whole uh, childhood. At 21, I moved to the West Coast, to San Francisco. Uh, I actually went there on vacation to uh, be with one of my, my girlfriend at the time. And I just fell in love. I fell in love with the sun. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the state. And I literally called my parents and I'm like, hey, I'm moving out here. And that vacation became a permanent thing for me. Then I ended up moving to San Diego, then eventually landed in LA 10 years ago and been living in LA for the last 10 years. I was in the cannabis space for a few years in the early days of processing. Uh, like when people were still blowing up their garages when they were trying to make BHO wax. Um, so I, like about seven, eight years ago, I had a lab, uh, we, in the legacy market, we were processing, um, concentrates, vapes, and we were, we sold probably to 70, 80 dispensaries in LA and maybe like another 25, 30 in Vegas. Uh, we eventually sold the company. And since then I've opened, um, Throughout my time, I've had a lot of experience in business. I own two dry cleaners, one on the Upper East Side, one in LA, a construction company, um, and a consulting company. And about a year and a half, I tell everybody this story, about a year and a half ago, in about last March, I, for years, I've always been doing research when states become legal or I know the licensing um, period is going to open up for dispensaries. I always apply. I've applied in so many states. I've been denied so many times because I'm not a big MSO. And last March, I was doing research. I got a newsletter from uh, the California Office of Cannabis, their version. And they're like, hey, new round of licensing is opening up. And I clicked it, see if I can apply, if, I'm gonna, if I meet the requirements. Quickly found out I don't. Quickly. And then throughout my research that day, I was at my dry cleaners in Sherman Oaks in Los Angeles. I stumbled upon an article that's 
it was talking about the rollout for cars. So I read the requirements and I'm like, holy crap. Can I curse on here? Yeah. Holy shit. I can do this. Like this fits me perfectly. I hit all the requirements. So I got on the phone with a couple lawyers, made sure that what I read was right. Um, they confirmed it, started getting all of my ducks in a row, like all the paperwork I needed, even before the application started. I had everything I needed for OCM to give me a license like a month after I found out about this. I went to the courthouse, got my dispositions for my arrest. I got my taxes, my paperwork, where I lived in New York at the time, bills from 20 years ago. Um, and the application period opened. I thought it was a long shot. I didn't think I was going to get it. And now we're here. So that's my background in Canada. I appreciate that. We're going to dive into all those specifics and some of those New York related cannabis challenges. But yeah. my first question would be with your experience from entrepreneurship, you're successful in other businesses, why navigate into cannabis with all of the restrictions, the challenges, the regulations? Why cannabis? I'll tell you why. Two reasons why. One reason this is every business I've ever opened dry cleaners, construction, consulting. Uh, four of them are still currently operating for over 10 years. So, you know, we, we, they do well. I've never been in an industry like this. Like, I'm not opening up a business. I'm opening up a brand, you know. I'm opening up a company that I want everyone in Manhattan to know about, everyone in New York to know about, you know. My space, I want it to be, like, I'm already working on other licensing so I can open up the same store somewhere else, you know. It's, man, it's just been... It's been something else, you know, just this whole process. And I know that cannabis in New York, it's a wreck with all these illicit shops. That's my point, too. All these illicit shops are selling all this garbage, underpriced or overpriced garbage in their stores to kids, to just anybody who's going to give them 50 bucks, you know. And I think there needs to be more um, owners like me to get into the cannabis space and open up as fast as possible to get these guys out of the, out of our spaces. You know, uh, we need to control the New York market, not the illicit shops. And right now, the illicit shops control the New York market. So, give our listeners a little insight look into kind of the location where you're going to be opening up shop, and then take us through the process of the challenge of finding a location, and then you know the process of kind of working with landlords for the financial limitations and then would kind of expand some of the other fun challenges like the injunction process yeah 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 of course of course so grueling process i mean grueling so first of all my store uh we're the first store to open up on the upper east side of manhattan which is very refreshing to a lot of people because they're all opening on the lower east side so having the first store to open up here i, I i've been getting a lot of support from the community they're very excited about it we're a very high-end looking store. We're giving the Upper East Side an Upper East Side store. You know, like we're in a very expensive part of town. We don't want to just open up a store. We want to open up an experience for people. I think we did the job with that. Uh, hopefully one day you guys can stop by. Um, but I really think we, we hit it on the nose with the experience. So we're on the Upper East Side. So I got licensed back in April, one of the first rounds. And so hard, so grueling. I have four other rents, like office spaces that I'm renting in New York and LA. I've never had so much trouble finding a location. Any, I had no buying power. Any landlord that I talked to, there was no negotiating power, none at all. You want, I want 25,000, take it or leave it. And 
I put in maybe 50, 60 offers all the way from Times Square to the Upper East Side. And I accepted everybody's offers. I'm like, okay, whatever. 10-year lease, six-month deposit, $25,000 a month, done. And they still come back to me with a higher rent, a higher deposit. Everybody, every single one. When they find out it's for cannabis, they add this like 25% cannabis tax. That blows me away. And when you're a little guy like me and you don't have DASNY funding or like these big MSOs with that's giving you all this money and you're funding the whole operation yourself, it's like these things matter, you know, that extra hundred thousand you're spending on a down payment, that's your budget for, for your build out or for your inventory, you know? And it's like these landlords, they're letting all these smoke shops open up and sell product and giving them retardedly dumb low rents. And I'm coming in here trying to do something right, legal for the community. And literally they're all just ripping me a new one. It's like a 1500 square foot space. On 23rd, between 5th and 6th, they wanted 18000 By the time we finished negotiations and I already approved the 18000 they came back to me five other times. We ended at 33000 So I, I got to ask, because as an entrepreneur, you've got multiple successful businesses, and I'm, I'm just going to make some assumptions that your aspect in negotiating these would be as standard as if a, every other business would be, that you would yes. come in. And then once you recognize that they were playing kind of loose and fast with your cannabis tax you'd probably like, okay, I'll accommodate some of these obstacles and negotiating power I don't have. And was there a moment where you recognize this is like not, not a standard process and what is going Absolutely. on here is unfair because for someone like yourself who is experienced, who has achieved success in outside industries, some other people who are coming into the space might not have that ability. It might just be coming completely bulldozed. Is this something that kind of caught you by surprise? Yeah, absolutely. Because listen, I'm used to, you know, looking at a space, finding it, and going about a month with the landlord or the brokers with negotiating back in terms of the lease and all of that. I had none of that with this. It's either you take what we have at the price we want or don't take our store at all. It's literally, if you want to be a dispensary here, this is what it takes. And we wanted to be one of the first ones to open up. Like we wanted to open up as fast as possible, do the rollout as quick as possible. And let me tell you, man, like since, since April, since I got licensed, I have not stopped. I have not stopped with this with vendors and companies and landlords, I have not stopped. And I'm only opening up January 4th, you know, because everybody that I go to, they're either charging me way too much for rent or the store is not, the area is not the best, not where I want to be. It's, it's just been, it's such a, and most of these truthfully, just the landlords being scumbags, truthfully, most of these it's, I give them what they want and they just want everything else, everything else. Some of them, even like a few landlords, I accepted all their terms, six month deposit of 20,000 a month, let's say. And then they still come back and they're like, we want some equity too. And then they denied me because I said, no, like that's literally what the, and I've been, it blew me away because that's not what I'm used to. I might first business roots handbag, my brother and I, a boss, he's my partner here. He's my partner at the dry cleaners. And he was my partner at this business too. We've been open up business together as long as I can remember my first one with him, 18 years old roots handbag. That was my first business. And since then, I've never worked for anybody. I've worked for myself. And I've never gone through this, ever. I've opened up retail. I've opened up off, never gone through this. And this, like, this, these landlords, it's like, it's like they're all like working together in a way because it's happening with every single one until I met the Czar family who own this property. 
they were humble, amazing guys. That's the only reason why I'm mentioning their name. They didn't take advantage of me. They were very welcoming. The space was beautiful. And that's why we stuck on in this area. So you guys settle on location, right? Yes. Upper yeah. East Side, yes. higher end part of the city. A month before the injunction. So was this all part of your business plan or has that just been thrown out the window from all of these kind of obstacles and now you're just kind of like flying by the seat of your pants? Like talk us through that from an entrepreneurial kind so, of mindset. So, you know, so we did, so we made a business plan, um, 78 pages day one. Like <laughs> once we, once we got a license, we made, my brother and I made a, like a legit business plan immediately. And we were following the business plan for a long time, but then I realized very, very quickly that the, the cannabis business doesn't, doesn't work happen. like that. <laughs> I ripped that shit up, threw it in the garbage. Did you build in the predatory cannabis tax in your business plan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, here's a line item, add additional 25%. You know what? To whatever I, should, I should have. And then I would have known my budget needed to be a couple hundred grand more just because of that. But you know what? No, it's, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been such a shit show in New York. And I'm loving it though. Don't get me wrong. I'm finally for the first time doing something I love so much, something I'm so passionate about. I enjoy it. So even though it's been a shit show, I've been riding this shit show with a smile. You know? That's that's the space, right? And I think the important part is that the cannabis industry has this allure for a lot of people. But once you get in it, you recognize it, it operates yeah. aggressively. One of the hardest one of the hardest industries to be in. Listen, like I said, I own a dry cleaning factory. So I purchase materials that people can do harmful things with, you know, solvent. And in this industry, you have to track this material. Every time you buy it, you need to track it. And I thought that was hard, like with the inspections and this. Bro, coming into this space, it's 10 times more, 10 times harder than I ever imagined with the regulations and how everything has to be. I replaced my window signs, my front window signs, three times. <laughs> three times. Because Why? of the regulations. Yeah. Because they keep giving us new ones constantly. So I'm like 18 grand in a hole just for window signs right now. You know? Um, but yeah, no, it's a hard space to get into, guys. It's a very, very hard space. If you want to be in the cannabis space, I mean, you need so much patience, so much time, a really good team behind you, like a good media team, marketing team, PR team. Um, and truthfully, it's it's... But it's, it's all going to be worth it. You know, so I want to stay on the story, though. So yes. you, you finally lock in the location. You're probably ecstatic. You can lock in some of those line items on that business plan that probably needs to be refreshed. Then the injunction happens. So a month later, a what month is later, the internal process? The what is the internal process? Like, what what are you doing in that moment? Are you getting information from your lawyers? Are you reading like what? What are you doing? And then how do you proceed at least to try to keep the business moving in the right direction with knowing that you're at yeah. standstill. So it was, it was crazy. So a month before the injunction happened, a one month before the injunction happened, I signed this heavy lease, like a $2 million lease on the Upper East Side. And a month later, we find out about the injunction. I found out about it. OCM pulls me. I'm in LA. Um, at this point, I was still going back and forth. I permanently moved back to New York in September. Um, I was in LA. In LAX, just got out of the shuttle bus to get into LAX airport, coming to New York. OCM calls me. They're like, hey, um, we need one last thing from you for licensing. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get it to you tomorrow. The next day, I find out about the injunction. And everything shut down. The whole city 
cannabis industry shut down overnight. I called my lawyers. Um, I called my whole team. I'm like, hey, what, what do we do? Like, can we still continue? Should we continue? We just got the space. We already started the build out like two, two weeks prior to that. We just started the build out already. Um, we've paid vendors a lot of deposits because we need them to start the build out. And we decided to probably make a very dumb business move, which really paid off. We never stopped anything. It was business as usual. We continued the build out. OCM didn't talk with us because they weren't allowed to. So I couldn't get my license from them. I couldn't get any emails from them. Nothing. So I'm kind of going in with this blind, going off the regulations and my lawyer's information, what they know. And we're just doing it. We're paying all these people. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars without knowing really what's going to happen, which was the scariest part. You know, like one of my dry cleaners in LA, I sold to invest into this business. I moved me, uh, my kids out to New York for this, you know, like I put a lot into it just on personal side. So when all of this happened, it's like, I felt like I was, you know, I tell people this a lot. I felt like I was um, in Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory and I just got the golden ticket to my golden ticket getting taken away from me and not ever getting it back. Like that's how I felt. And, but we never stopped. Like I said, we continued on, we kept the build out going. And the injunction process, I mean, we were in the courthouses all the time. You know, we were there supporting the cannabis market in New York. It was just one bad thing after the other. You know, the judge constantly just going against OCM pro veterans. It was, it was just such a shit show. So we were uh, like, my brother and I was starting to think like, yo, we should just pull the plug now before we have everything invested in this. I'm so glad we did it because about two weeks later, I find out that I made the short list and that I'm one of the few shops that can open during the injunction. Thank God. So we then kind of put the acceleration on everything and telling everybody, hey, we need this by this day. We need this by this day. We need this by this day. And thankfully, like everything's coming together, you know? But yeah, the injunction, man, it was so many emotions, high and low, you know, thinking I'm going to be here, thinking I'm going to do this in a few weeks or in a few months to just all the way to the bottom. Like, what the hell did I just do? What are all these decisions that I just made selling this business, moving across the country for this? And like this all thing's about to blow up in my face. So it was definitely, there was a lot of emotions throughout the time, throughout that. Process. So I want to go back to you and your brother or have a conversation. Maybe we pull the plug. Like, so you're doing scenario planning if you don't make the short list or if the injunction goes on permanently, like, Hey, how was that conversation from an emotional standpoint after you guys made this investment and B, what were some of the, were you thinking about just like dumping the property? Like, could you get out of the lease? Like what were some of those scenarios? Yeah. So, um, we called our landlord. We told them the situation. We're like, listen, man, not our fault. We signed with you a month later. The court put a stop on everything. I told them this is pretty much like as close as you can get to a national emergency for the weed industry in New York as you can get. Like, really, you know, like we just got COVID in the New York industry uh, in the cannabis space. That's what it felt like to me. And I'm like, like, we need a way out of the lease. Luck if if the shit hits the fan and we don't get our license. Luckily, we were able to get out. Um, It's it, it set in the lease that if we do not get our final license, we can back out. But the problem is they keep our deposit. And the deposit is well over six figures. You know, like it's a lot of money. Um, So we would have lost that. 
So that's where I was coming from to that, that mindset. Like, okay, so I'm going to lose almost a quarter million in a deposit if I stop this whole thing right now and just pull the plug. And I'm going to lose another couple hundred, like another 150 grand to designers, media, and um, mill work, contractors, because I gave a bunch of people deposits that month, a bunch of people just to start. So we kind of like, you know, like, what do we do? We, we So we're going to lose this much for sure. At least like 400 grand out the door, no matter what. Or we just keep going, put another couple hundred in and, you know, we finish it. So we would have lost more pulling the plug, truthfully, you know, as opposed to like, all right, we're so heavily invested at this point. It makes no sense. We, we And stopping makes no sense either because what if the injunction, you know, gets lifted tomorrow? Like we need to open. So... Uh, my brother and I, we weighed everything. We put all the numbers together, like, and we, you know, we, we made a, you know, a, lo- a logical conclusion that we've already put way too much sweat equity into this, that if we pull out now, we're going to regret it. 100% we're going to regret it. Give you a ton of credit because I think that that is a hard, a really hard decision because like, as you were describing, you were pot committed and financially you were going to proceed it through the long haul without knowing how long that injunction process would take. And the good part for you is that thankfully, New York is a very cheap location and things are very low cost and things yeah, so are not cheap, overly top so expensive. Cheap. The cheapest, cheapest, yeah, so, cheapest. So an yeah. injunction like this just doesn't cripple small no, businesses like no, yourself. It just all. kind of like just cut the check and hope for the best. But I guess the hard part then is that like, you're, you're like waiting on all of these updates, praying to God that these things can be removed and released so that you can move forward. And you're not the only one experiencing this right there. Are many others in New York that are have their entire livelihoods positioned in an asset that is literally frozen. Yeah. Because and, and, and real, real quick, um, I'm a part of the card coalition, which I think is rebranded as the New York Re- retail um, association or something. So all the card people who got card are in this Discord app. Everybody, like you just said, a lot of people were going through some emotions, man, for maybe three, four months straight from us all talking about, hey, I need a vendor for this. Hey, does somebody know a vendor for this? Hey, my grand opening is going to be this. Everybody come by to everybody just shitting on everything to do with cannabis and New York in that Discord app. Everybody was upset. Everybody thought they're about to lose everything. And all these emotions are flying all in one space with all of us. So we're all kind of negging each other out. You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to do anything until they know what's going on with the injunction. So like we're getting all this negative energy from all the other owners because we we communicate with each other a lot, like a lot, us and the other owners. And like there was so much neg- negative energy throughout the injunction where nobody just wanted to do anything. They're like, until we know what's going on, we can't continue. You know, and like even a few people kind of like told us like, why, why, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you, why are you still putting money into it? Like, it, it makes no sense. Like you're not allowed to open, you know, but continue, go ahead. And at the same part, the illicit market is thriving because thriving. here you are in complete hold, trying to do everything you're supposed to do. You've got all this money sunk into it and they are just thriving. So take us through your position right now. Like, do you have any illegal dispensaries around you? Take us through what that looks like so that somebody in New York who's walking by, let's say your shop versus another, can tell the difference so that they can make the right choice. Yes. Yeah, so um very simple. You know, there is there's there, there are a few illicit shops next to me. Uh unfortunately, there's one right across the street, you know, and there's another one a couple of blocks down that way. So you'll know very quickly 
what an illicit shop looks like and what my shop looks like. The illicit shops are the ones that are heavy on the green marketing with the weed leaves everywhere and promoting, hey, we sell weed this, we sell weed that. With our dispensary, we won't, we don't do that just because of kids. We don't want kids that are 10, 11, 12, 8, 9, seeing all of this abrupt marketing strategy for everyone to see. So we don't do that. And you'll, which is really important. You know, we don't want the community getting mad at us. Like, hey, why do you have so many weed leaks out in public for everyone to see? And when you go inside a smoke shop, it's literally just another hole in the wall. I'm sorry to say product on top of everything, uh, one another. It's hundreds of skews everywhere, ugly, messy. The guy next door, for instance, has a couple jars, like six different flavors of of flour. I think like three, four different flavors of vapes. One of the vapes that he has actually came to us too to see because they they were their legal company from LA. They want to see if we can carry them. They're licensed in New York. We denied them just because they're they're selling to the illicit shops. So if you're a vendor and you're selling to the illicit shops, there's no room in our store for you. So just to clarify for our listeners, the shop that looks like it's a weed shop based on their promotion is illegal. And the shop that is discreet and doesn't look like a weed shop is a legal one. Exactly that. Yes. Yes. Regulations. Again, regulations, you know, for walking outside on the smoke shop from outside, you can look in and see all the weed products. Our store, you will not see any products inside because we don't want little kids or just people who don't want to be look at this, be able to see it. So everything is blocked out. But again, regulations, we do it for a reason and that's how we have to do it. And we're okay with it, you know, but um, and this, this, this person, like, for instance, like guy next to me, and it's like none of his products are lab tested. His flour isn't prepackaged. Like he, who knows where he's getting it from? Like who knows, you know, pesticides? Like there's so much problems that can happen with the grow where if you don't test every single product, I would, I wouldn't even touch it truthfully, you know? And, um, I mean, you know, there, there's very big difference. You're going to come to my story. It's, it's very elegant. You know, there's not everything on top of one another. There's a few products in every display it's your eyes don't wander everywhere you know we got some of the best product every single product here i tried myself to make sure it's good you know to make sure i can put it on my shelves a few you know brands we had to turn down unfortunately but yeah they'd be up with these smoke shops selling their product man they you know i know they're my competition i get it but they're not my competition you know they have 10 skews maybe you know 12 skews maybe this specific smoke shop here you know, I have over 300 SKUs, you know, of some of the best product in New York. But still, we got to get them closed. Or at the very least, they have to stop selling herb at the, uh, you know, pot, unless they get a license at the very least. Or, you know, but so so that's that, that's that, you know. Was the plan always to be kind of discreet and more community community oriented and not like, because I mean, there are some dispensaries that are kind of built out for like tourism too, right? You know what I mean? And so like, what was that always the plan or was it kind of like you guys wanted to tailor your retail location to the demographics based on being in the Upper East Side? Like, was it always that? Like, talk us through that. So, no, it was not actually. When we were first closing on a store, uh, there were three, four stores that we were closing on right in Times Square uh, that we wanted to be a tourist store, tourist destination. In the very, very beginning, back in, I'm talking back in April of last year. We wanted to be a tourist destination. So we were closing on a lot of those stores. But keep in mind, at this point, all the information that was given us to us by the OCM wasn't accurate either. 
You know, we were told we were going to get this fund to give us money on a loan with low interest. And we'll have these like stores that they can build out for us. Um, so I'm like over there getting one of the, trying to get the best store in the best area, right? Thinking that's what's going to happen. Quickly found out that's not a fact at all. Santa's you know? not real. And, and dad <laughs> needs a bigger shit show than the city. But I still have to give it to the city. You know, OCM's still doing a great job. Um, I love them. I love everybody at OCM. Um, but yeah, no, Dazney, yeah, they're, they're terrible, terrible um, at what they're doing. So my brother and I had that talk like, hey, um, are we doing it through the Dazney Fund or are we going to be self-funded? Or are we going to just go big and just start collecting uh, money from everybody and just get shareholders? You know, we thought Dazney was, was our option before we found out what Dazney was, like the terms, the stuff that was in the contract, you know, the buyout options, like it was all terrible stuff. Like no, no businessman should ever be signing anything like that. So that was, we X that out real quick. We didn't want to be one of those companies that had a whole bunch of people behind us. And now our voice doesn't count, you know? So we X that out too. And we just decided to do it ourselves. And me and between me and my brother, then we had to rethink everything like where we're going to open now because Times Square is no longer an option for a small family. Um, own business, you know? So we have a dry cleaners the Upper East Side. We've been here for 10 years already. You know, we know the community so well. Um, we love the Upper East Side. So we figured, you know what, what better than to be a community shop for the Upper East Side um, where we're not just a dispensary, you know, we're an art gallery too. We, you know, we procured art from Paris, Switzerland, a lot of New York artists, um, are being featured in our dispensary that we're going to be selling their art. And some of the some of the most expensive and most exquisite uh, piped pieces that you will ever see in your life are going to be displayed in my store. We got the artists uh, giving it to us. Also, we're going to be selling them. I don't think they're going to sell because a lot of these pieces are $20,000, $15,000 pieces. Um, so again, you know, the- I have smoke- faith. I think you'll sell some. Yeah, maybe some, maybe, maybe three a year, you know? Yeah, I like that, uh, I like that. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we're, like I said, man, it's all about the experience and the experience that I'm, I want to provide, I think the Upper East Side deserves and the Upper East Side will appreciate. Is the whole process intentional to understand the demographics and then to position assets yes. around them so that they feel like yes. they're walking into a store as Absolutely. if anything else within their local community, right? Because exactly like you're saying, you're, you're trying to adhere to the community in area there. And if you kind of stand out and act differently it kind of gives a uh, rubs people the wrong way by integrating naturally inside. You can educate people people can experience things and you yeah. can kind of change that stigma that so many people likely have when they walk in for potentially the first time. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And you know, that's, ex- that's exactly right. So when people do walk in for the first time, talk us through like your expected customer journey. So, okay. When people are going to walk into my store, every, I know for a fact, there's going to be a wow on everybody's face. Everybody's going to love what they're going to see. The process to get a product in and out of my store is so seamless, so easy. If you already know what you want, you walk into my store. Uh, you can go on the self-ordering station. Um, you order it. You go to the butt tender. The butt tender is already going to have it ready for you. Within three, two, three minutes, you're out of the store. If you don't know, if you're a new user, you don't know what you want yet, um, I'm going to have butt tenders walking around um, with our menu in their hands. And you know, the, if you want vapes, they'll take you to the vape section, flower, flower section, um, while people are waiting, we have benches so they can sit down, enjoy the art that we have all over the walls. 
Um, they can walk around, look at all the expensive glass that we have every month, two, three, four times, two, three times a month. We're going to be having events. Like we're going to have one, uh, this month with AJ Sour Diesel, where the creator of Sour Diesel is going to come and he's going to be our guest butt tender, uh, which is going to be great. You know, a lot of, he has a big following. Uh, we have another event where one of our local artists that we present his stuff, he's going to do his, uh, print release for his new work at our location. So we're, we're doing a bunch of events with a bunch of uh, local businesses, um, which I think like, I, like the commun- this community will appreciate. You know, I don't think certain, when we did our market research about like what the Upper East Side needs, what the Upper East Side's looking for, the demographic, the age range, who lives there, um, the, you know, type of people that live there. And once we decided like, this is what we're going to put together, our and weed, I, I just, I just thought this is it. It spoke up East side, you know, like it's, it, it's, it makes sense to be here. People here will appreciate what I'm, what we're putting out there. So let's, let's fast forward. You've, you've gone through a tremendous journey all the way from April to now. We're right on the edge about to open. And when this gets released, you'll have been live for a few weeks now. Take us through your feelings today, January 2nd, before you open, just given the feelings that you've fully felt over the last six months of being, Hey, we're about to be SOL'd. We might lose everything. We could be completely screwed. We should double down to the point now where you're right on the cusp of opening that store and that feeling of knowing that you have opened a licensed business in New York in the Upper East Side. You know what, man? I think my smile says it all, truthfully. Um, just hearing you say this, it's giving me chills, man. It's like, we're about to open. We're finally about to open through all this bullshit. We're finally there. Um, it's exciting. It's, 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 it's getting real every day. I keep telling my brother, um, I keep telling my wife, I'm like, I'm, I've never been so overwhelmed in my life. I've never been so overwhelmed. I'm getting maybe like a hundred emails a day. I have two phones and they're both ringing off the hook all day. What is it? Like what, like what are people calling? Is it vendors? Is it customers? Yeah, I mean, it's vendors training because all the, every vendor that I buy from, they need to do a training with all my butt tenders. And then I hired a training staff to train them on my POS system, on the way I want my store operating procedures to be. Um, interviews. I had to host so many interview interviews because I had to hire my whole staff. We're a staff of 20 right now. So uh, managers, assistant managers, butt tenders, inventory. We had to go through all of that. And just from resumes, I was getting like 150 resumes a minute. It was crazy what was going on with my email. I was so overwhelmed. I had to get a merchant for credit card, cashless ATM, debit card, ACH transfers, ATMs. Bro, I've never signed more contracts in my life than I have in the last 30 days. You know, all the onboarding, all of Dutchy, Kaya push all these companies. Hey, you have an onboarding with me scheduled today. I'm missing half of them because I'm so busy with a hundred other things, putting this whole store together where it's been the most overwhelming time of my life. And I'm so happy though about it. I love it. I love yeah. every minute of it. You can, you can definitely sense that. And I think that's, that's really powerful to feel, especially just given the fact that you, with your experiences opening other businesses, like there should be some aspects from them that you can pull from, but as exactly as you described today, there is no playbook there. Everything that you thought you could pull from, you kind of had to pivot and learn off yeah. that, which yeah. is part of the challenge of the industry and an unfortunate part of the space. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I agree. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more.
What's been your favorite part of the process? I think you know this. You go into the farm. Trying all the canvas. Yeah, come on, man. Going Is there one the product farm. that you're like really yeah, going to like kind of try to like highlight on opening day that you're like, this is my, this, this is, is the one I really want everyone so, to see? So on opening day, there are two brands that I want to really feature. One brand is the AJ Sour Diesel. Shout like, out. in my opinion, sour, real sour diesel is in my store real sour diesel that I grew up with in with as a kid from Queens rolling my first blunt to my last blunt only wanting to buy sour you know hey do you have sour hey do you have literally so I smelled it I smoked it I tried it I think I think people are really gonna appreciate that like that there's like a real sour diesel strand that by the owner who created the first one like back in the 80s or something you know I love it. So I think that's huge. And um, Mike Tyson's gummies. I really want to highlight that. His gummies are incredible. A lot of people love them. Um, so we're going to have that. And there's this one specific company that out of all the, all the farms have been great. I'm not going to put any of the ones that I've been to. All their samples have been great. Um, the ones that are good, really, really good. They're at my store today. Uh, there's one that stood out and I, I want to give them a shout out if that's okay. Um, they, they don't even know that I'm doing this, but <laughs> there's one brand that stood out, man. Their concentrates, their vapes, their flower. That's the only brand that's going to have two displays in my store. And their farm is called MFNY, Marijuana Farms, New York. Their product, let me tell you, I was impressed. So impressed. Rest. Not to say that other farms I wasn't. There's good stuff everywhere, bad stuff everywhere. But with these guys, a lot more good than bad with most of their SKUs and very high quality stuff for a great price. You know, the margins are amazing. So that's going to be, I think that brand specifically is going to be flying in my store. You know, I think people will appreciate what, what they're doing. You know, I went to their farm. Everybody's farm is amazing. Like I've been to farms with 300 acres, like cities, like people literally bought a city and made it a farm. You know, it's crazy. Like the things that I've experienced in this last couple months meeting with vendors. But yeah, so those are the three that I'm, I'm going to try to highlight on day one. And, you know, all my all my brands are going to, you know, get the attention they need. But yeah, definitely those three. As a New York boy, I'm excited for the sour diesel. Just see, yeah, you talk about be. that because you know, right? When you know, you know right yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. When you know, you know. I agree, bro. And sour diesel, man. I haven't had. I that's not true. I've been living in LA, so I have. Um, but I know a lot of people haven't had real sour in so long, and th this stuff is just is just amazing. You know, I'm very, very, very happy to have this in my store. So let's slightly switch gears. Dream smoking session: three people, dead or alive. Biggie, uh, 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 um, Eminem, and let me think, let me think, George Bush. <laughs> I love it. It's a trio. George Bush. <laughs> what is I the... want to smoke a joint with George Bush and find out what the fuck went on during his administration. <laughs> Probably going to need more than a joint. <laughs> what is the most expensive lesson you've ever learned? And you know what? It was actually in this space for this store. Uh, with contractor. So being that we have a certain budget, you know, I want to save as much as I can wherever I can. So I needed electrical done for the whole store, like 
brand new electrical. Like we did this whole, like this store was just one big box. We put like five offices, a basement, like we did so much with it. So the electrical was a lot of work, you know, a lot of work. So I went to a few companies and they were giving me these crazy prices, crazy, 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 crazy prices. Like almost in the six figures, almost. And then I met these two guys and they're like, yo, you can pay me by the day. And I said, you know what? That sounds good, guys. <laughs> what these guys pulled on me, man, it, it was ridiculous. I lost so much money because of them. I lost, just because of these two guys, I spent like 40, 35, maybe $40,000 more on labor just because of them. They were bringing like a whole crew and they were like doing like five things a day and like looking busy, but not really busy. And my cameras aren't up yet. And I'm still traveling back and forth in LA. My brother still has the dry cleaners. So like I was going heavy on trust and I shouldn't have done that. And I ended up paying like seven guys a day, five days a week for like a month and a half of work, two months of work almost. And it, it went way over than it, sh- it should have. And I lost, I, ha- I paid what though I should have paid those professionals and like an extra 30 grand, you know? And that, yeah, that, and that, the reason that was one of the most painful ones, because that's what you asked me, is because we're on such a tight budget that 30,000 lost for, went to the air, could have went somewhere so good, like whether it's marketing or media or mill work or, you know, anything, payroll where we literally just blew it in the air. And it, it was, and you know, it just goes to show you try to save a dollar by taking the easier route, the cheaper route. It, it's always, over a always dollar to pick up a dime. Yeah, yeah, fact. So I think that's, I think that covers that. If you could put anything on a billboard, metaphorically speaking, to get a message to billions of people, could be an image, a quote, a word, or something that inspired you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? legal weed what question do you wish more people asked you i think more people should be open to getting product knowledge because you know what i've been a marijuana connoisseur for better part of my whole life my my whole adult life my whole childhood life 14 years old i started smoking and since then almost an eighth a day up until like last couple years i went down a lot just because i smoke a vape now but I thought, you know, I know so much about cannabis, but now I went into this space just about the plants and the extraction process and just the way they make this, the way they make that, like there's so much more to learn. And I think no matter who you are as a person, how many years you smoked, I think you should come inside and ask questions about the products because there are so many products, you know, you buy this one just because the packaging is nice. You might not like it. And then you don't like the store, you know, just go ask questions. Uh, for product knowledge and I promise you'll find something you're going to love. Love it. All right. Prediction time. Markel, what is the number one thing you would do to improve the licensing process so others don't face a similar path in the future? You know what? I, I, I would probably hire more people in the OCM and maybe tell them to make a hire more people to talk with us, like the licensees, because I feel like that's been one big problem with me and a lot of other cardholders is lack of communication. 
via OCM and it's not their fault. They're so busy. They have a rollout of all these dispensaries to do. They have all these people on their shoulders. They're stressed out themselves. You know what I mean? I get it. Um, but lack of communication was really a big issue. Like, I mean, you know, there was a lot of things that a lot of us needed to know that it was very hard to get a hold of them. So if, if they, if I, I think they would give them a lot more staff and um, deal with the dispensary owners and the growers a lot more with communication. Kellen. You know, I think that New York kind of maybe caught a hint of like perfectionism when they tried to like roll out their, their market. Right. Um, and you see this a lot, like people want to do something so perfect that they have a hard time, like putting their first draft out. And no matter what, your first draft is going to have errors and you're going to have to come back and fix it, all these things, right? So I think that a potential solution could be instead of spending so much time on screening the applicants and having them check all of these boxes to open a retail location, that that should be more similar to like opening a liquor store, right? In terms of the hoops that you have to jump through. And then they can reallocate resources for more people with sticks. Yeah. Right. For yeah, enforcement. Yeah. And I think this also could help with regulating the illicit market as well. Absolutely you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely right. And that you could know balance what? the whole entire the, process. The first, yeah. The first rollout was for justice involved. The second rollout um, for the licenses is a lottery. Um, so I, I agree with that. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah. And you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. Not even that many people apply for these licenses, you know, which blew my mind. Like if you guys get a list of actually all the applicants for card, it's not that many, you know, not at all. <clears throat> Same with the applicants for the general license. A lot of people just like, there was so many people that I would tell like, Hey, there's a sick opportunity. You should do it. Go apply. Worst case, you don't get it. Who cares? You know, but at least you try. Uh, and everybody that I talked to about it, they didn't seem to know about it, you know? So definitely, la- I-, I think lack of marketing on their end but yeah a lot of people just didn't know about this up this big golden opportunity that they can get and but yeah i agree with you on that though you're absolutely right i think to expand on your point the reason people don't do those things is because people are intimidated to take action i think the idea of something is very fun and they want to do it but i think actually sitting down and overcoming obstacles when you don't know how to do certain things and exactly like you described today things are very hard No one is just going to, no one knows the answer. You have to go seek everything out. You have to go figure things out. You have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations on a regular basis and have the ability to bring it that next day, right? To be able to show up tomorrow and be like, yesterday sucked, but today I'm going to do it. And I think that's the part that we continue to find that people say certain things and don't do those things. And I commend you for sticking through it and doubling down when things are tough, because I, I think with your mindset and your skills that I think you'll really benefit the community and i think it's the type of person that when ocm was trying to envision this market becoming successful i think you're going to thrive and i think it's really exciting to see you know what you uncover and 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 what the future holds for you here in new york thank you that means a lot man thank you so much thank you so so markel for our listeners they want to get in touch they want to visit your store where can they find you please 1412 lexington avenue New York, New York, 10158, Upper East Side on Lexington between 92nd, 93rd Avenue. All right, we're that big, big, big store. 
uh, right in the middle of the block. You can't miss us. It says okay. the herbal care. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was fun. Thank you. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.